I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Kurt Norquist is continuing his ongoing series of the Digital Matrix, his interviews with some of the most important people in technology. We love this series. We're glad that it's a part of USA Business Radio. Hello, and welcome to today's show. You are listening to The Digital Matrix, where Kurt talks to some of the brightest minds in the industry about the most advanced technology IT solutions available today to help your business thrive. Today's episode is brought to you by General Data Tech at www.gdt.com. You can also email the show at podcast at gdt.com. And now, to start the show from his secret podcast studio in City Center in Houston, Texas, here's your host, Kurt Nordquist. Happy Friday, folks, and thanks for joining us on the show today. I'm Kurt Nordquist, your host, Executive Director of Global Alliances here at General Data Tech. Really glad to have you back with us here on the Digital Matrix, Season 2. This is the week of August the 12th. Let me see what has happened on this date in technology history. Back in 1991, the first email sent from space went out. Using a Mac portable aboard the space shuttle Atlantis, the first email from space is sent to Earth. Two astronauts on the spacecraft, James Adamson and Shannon Lucid, wrote, and I quote, Hello, Earth. Greetings from the STS-43 crew. This is the first Apple link from space. Having a great time. Wish you were here. Send Cryo and RCS. Whatever the heck RCS is, I have no idea. Hasta la vista, baby. We'll be back. End quote. This message was transmitted to the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, hopefully not into a spam folder. And in 1981, IBM introduced its personal computer, also known as the IBM Model 5150, lending legitimacy to microprocessor-based computers. IBM's first PC ran with, listen to this, a 4.77 megahertz Intel 8088 microprocessor and used Microsoft's MS-DOS operating system. In 83, Compaq Computer Corporation, right here in Houston, where I am, released the first clone of the IBM PC, a machine embodying an identical copy of the PC architecture, which IBM, for whatever reason, had made publicly available and beginning the gradual decline of their share of the personal computer market. Lesson here, folks, protect your intellectual property. On this day in 1877, American inventor Thomas Alva Edison made perhaps his most original discovery, the phonograph and his early recordings were indentations embossed into a sheet of tinfoil by a vibrating stylus. And that's today's look back in tech history. Checkpoint Security, headquartered in Tel Aviv, Israel, is a multinational corporation and a provider of software and combined hardware-software products for the IT security industry. Now, this includes network and endpoint security, cloud security, mobile security, data security, and security management. Today's guest on the Digital Matrix is Keely Wilkins, cybersecurity evangelist at Checkpoint. Now, she's going to talk to us today about a very interesting phenomenon gaining a huge amount of interest lately, deep fakes. Now, some call these synthetic media in which a person in an existing image or video 
is replaced with someone else's likeness, creating fake content using machine learning and AI to manipulate or general visual and or audio content that can then be used to distribute fake news, hoaxes, even bullying or financial fraud. Keely, thanks for being on the show today. I've been really excited about this podcast because I think the subject's very interesting, and we're just on the front end of this thing and what it means to all of us companies and private individuals alike. How long have you been at Checkpoint? I've been at Checkpoint just over three years. I've been in tech about almost 30 years. Wow. And before Checkpoint, where were you? Uh, before Checkpoint, I was with a, uh, a bar organization based in the uh, – uh, Upper Peninsula of Michigan, a bar being a value-added reseller, uh-huh. paired with a different vendor. So were you a Wolverine fan, a fan of Sparty? No. <laughs> Football's not your thing? No, it's not. It's not. I, I'm, I'm a geek, so no. <laughs> well, that's good, because we need, we need the geeks of today to be able to help us answer this thing around deep fakes. So let's dive into that a little bit. We've certainly heard of deep fakes being used for things like blackmail or to make it seem like a well-known political figure that maybe he or she didn't really say. Technically, what are deep fakes? Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Well, you did a great, um, ex- provided a great explanation at the onset. So just to echo a few things that you mentioned, they are media, whether it be video, audio, or images with synthetic content. It's, um, which is interesting how it's developed and continues to develop how it's being identified. So we, we can get into a little into that a little bit more. Well, I know we saw some of this technology, right? If you're a movie buff and you've gone out, for instance, the Star Wars movies, they were able to use this type of technology to make Han Solo look younger in his younger days. And then, of course, after the tragic death of Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, we got to see a movie where her character continued the saga with the technology making it look like she was still there. Yeah, I saw those. Uh, I am a Star Wars fan, so great, great reference. Yeah, that, that was interesting, and a lot of what I saw there was CGI and probably some of the earlier examples of deep fake technology. And entertainment is a great, good use for deep fakes because it, it helps with making things more realistic engaging the audience more, bringing them closer into the story and, and less as of, of an observer, critiquing, oh, I can see how fake that is, which a lot of us do. I'm guilty of that, too. Well, they're certainly getting much better at it as the years go by, right? So the question now is, is this really a new threat vector that we should be looking at seriously? Yes and no. So in the sense, from, from a mechanism perspective, the development of deepfakes, how the technology is evolving, in that regard, yes, it's a new threat vector. What it's aiming to accomplish outside of the entertainment realm, of course, which is basic manipulation, that's as old as time. So in that perspective, no, it's not a new threat vector. It's trying to achieve manipulation, trying to um, promote social engineering efforts in, in a malicious way, that's that's old. But the way that they're doing it, wait, the way that they're trying to trick the eye, the ear, that mechanism is new. So that brings about a good question. So how are deep fakes made, and really, who's making them? All right. So 
that's a, a simple and very complex question. The first few vocabulary words that you know we take for granted that everybody who, who's listening or reading deep fake information is, is aware of. So artificial intelligence is fairly well understood what it aims to accomplish anyway. It's teaching machines to, to think or rather to act critically based on certain data. And then machine learning and deep learning, it, it's how the, the AI learns based on an, ex, an exorbitant amount of source data. And then a neural network is computer system modeled on human brain and nervous system. Deep neural network is a neural network, but with a deeper level of complexity. And then that brings us to a, a GAN, which is a generative adversarial network. So that typically um, is two neural networks competing with each other. So the first neural network is tasked with developing the deep fake based on all of the source data. And the second neural network is tasked with trying to identify, you know, call it out for what it is, call it out as a deep fake. So the way that all of that works together is all of the information is the source data. So all of the publicly available you know, video, audio clips, uh, images are fed into an autoencoder. And so that learns the, it compresses thousands of pixels and, and compresses them into like hundreds of, of measurements to identify specific things like facial expressions, eyes open, closed, head position, smiling, not smiling. So it learns that data. And then that data is put into the latent space. And latent space is essentially a waiting area. And then the decoder comes in and decodes or decompresses the image or audio file. And again, those, those two neural networks are trained together in tandem and one generates it, generates the fake, and the other one is meant to spot the fake. So that's how older deep fake videos or audio clips, they don't trick us easily, but they're progressing because that learning behavior is cyclical. It keeps learning more and it keeps trying to identify the fakes. So by the time it actually gets to the public, it's been through perhaps thousands of iterations of of essentially grooming. Wow. That... And who makes them? Oh, <laughs> um, it used to be that the technology was so expensive and the training necessary to do it was so intense that you needed, you know, a professional person in the audiovisual world um, or you needed nation states or organizations. But it's to the point now that with a moderate level of training and reason, more reasonably priced tools, an individual can do it. But it takes a lot of fine-tuning, a lot of time and effort to get it to the point where you're able to trick more people. You know, there's software available on GitHub and other sites that can be used to yeah. do that. So it's not out of the purview of you know, the average person. Sure, probably all over the dark web as well. So essentially, oh. what you're saying here, the the attackers themselves, they they're weaponizing this technology, right? Oh, they're, absolutely. They're they're taking oh. these techniques for fake video, like you mentioned, or audio, 
And now they're advanced enough to be weaponized, used to create targeted content to manipulate whether that be opinions, even stock prices or worse. And there's one case that I read about. There was a mobile attack that relied on social engineering. The results of this phishing attack, uh, these attacks could range from fraud to more advanced espionage. In, in this example, I'm going to talk about one of the most significant deep fake phishing attacks. A bank manager in the United Arab Emirates fell victim to the threat actor scam. The hackers had used AI voice cloning to trick the bank manager into transferring $35 million. I could, uh, that was just a bad day for that guy. Yeah, I read a, a similar story. Uh, the, the numbers were a bit different. Uh, and it is one of the, the top five, I think, um, on my list uh, that, yeah, they use cloning technology uh, for the voice and whoever was behind the mic, you know, had the intonations proper. And, and honestly, from a social engineering perspective, how many of us have one-on-one -on -one conversations with our CEOs? We may hear them in meetings. We may hear them on webinars. Uh, so we have an idea of what they sound like. We have an idea of their cadence, if they have accents. So we have an idea. But when you get a phone call directly from somebody you don't speak to on a regular basis, and there's a sense of urgency, like, hey, I need this money. I need you to transfer it. Yeah, chances are, unless there's some level of communication continuity kind of uh, policy in place or there's you know you need multiple people to unlock the the keys to the kingdom as it were then that kind of that level of fraud is very possible trust but verify ronald reagan said it it probably means more now than back then so who is typically targeted by deep fakes i mean do i need to be worried about being the target of a deep fake not that i'm that important well, no, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question because we always think it's oh, it's somebody else. I don't have that, you know. I'm not that attractive to to a fraudster. But I think it was a dark trace study that uh, in 2019, 96 percent of all deep fakes were revenge porn. So, yeah, if you anger the wrong person, you could absolutely be the target of a deep fake. Yeah, be uh, in a movie you don't want to be in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be awful. So, yeah, it can be individuals. Um, more recently, we've seen deep fakes targeting organizations with online, online job interviews. And this grew prevalence during the pandemic because there were remote jobs. There still are remote jobs. People couldn't come in to an office to have an interview, so you didn't have a physical person. People's identities were being not necessarily stolen, but borrowed for the purpose of obtaining an interview. And then the video, the remote interview, which was all online, was a deep fake. So they had stolen somebody's identity or borrowed it for the purpose of getting an interview. And it was typically for a tech-based job. So if the candidate was actually given the job, now you have this bad actor who got a job under fraudulent means, and they have access, privileged access, like IT-based, security-based, development-level access 
to an organization that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. I think I read about that. That was a uh, news advisor that came out of the FBI Internet Crime Complaint Center. And in these interviews that you speak of, right, the actions and the lip movement of the person that was seen interviewed on camera, they don't exactly coordinate with the audio of the person speaking. At times, actions like coughing, sneezing, or any other auditory actions, they're just not aligned with what is presented visually. You've done your homework, Kurt. Yes, that's, um, that's exactly what was happening. And because of things like that, and, and it was fairly rudimentary compared to today, uh, deep fakes. So they were still very sophisticated. But things like turning your, um, having the person turn their head 90 degrees in either way, either direction, because the deep fake technology is usually based on video that's available online. So if there's a lot of video available for you, then, yeah, they could do a fairly decent job of matching your face and facial expressions. And that's where a lot of the, the AI learn, the machine learning and, and deep learning is concentrated. But there's not a whole lot of data for your profile. There's maybe if you're an actor in a movie, but most actors in movies don't apply for tech jobs. Sure. So it sounds to I'm me. Aware of. <laughs> so it sounds to me like, you know, HR organizations, you know, if you're listening, you might want to implement a little game of Simon Says in every one of your uh, interviews from here on out. Yes. Uh, uh, another trick there is, you know, having the, the candidate move their hand in front of their face. It sounds absurd. And if I were a candidate sitting, in an interview like that, and they're like, all right, turn your your head 90 degrees to either side of, and move your hand in front of your face. Knowing now what I do about deep fakes, we're like, okay, I understand. Let, let's make sure that I'm a human, and in fact, the human that you think you're speaking to. But if I'm just, you know, a, an unwitted candidate, that's going to seem like a very odd question. Yeah, so, exactly. What, what you, you want me to do what? Do I really want to work for you? Yeah, that's that would be strange. Yep, absolutely. Um, and other targets, obviously, are, are actors, politicians, influencers, anybody for whom there there is a large amount of source data that an AI can learn about your face, your your gestures, facial tics, a- anything like that that is unique to you. If that media could be fed into the AI for learning purposes. Yeah, then you could possibly be a target. It's it's amazing. I, I can't believe we've it's come to that, but yet here we are. So we talked about employment risks there and, and others. What other implications of falling for these deep fakes? I mean, do you have any kind of worst case scenarios? Oh yeah, I have I have tons of worst case scenarios. I ruined tons of movies because of it. <laughs> um, but for businesses we talked about about the interview process, but there's also brand reputation. There's lots of money that we spoke about, about the CEO, the presumed CEO who called and had money transferred. There's supply chain partners. I mean, it, it's not just a matter of, you know, brand reputation among your customers, but if your supply chain partners are turned off to the, to the idea of doing business with you, then how long can you actually survive in the marketplace if nobody's willing to, to partner with you? Certainly. Supply um, chain already is kind of tough as it is from a manufacturing standpoint. Now you got to worry about this. Oh, absolutely. And then for individuals, we talked a little bit about the revenge porn. Mm-hmm. So that impacts reputation in the marketplace. Um, 
you know, for mental health issues, there's education options that you may lose out on because there's this crazy video of you out there. You may lose employment opportunities. It can impact your family and their relationships. It can impact your relationships with, you know, your social circle. And then society in general. The worst case scenario is, you know, I think we've seen hints of that in recent years with elections. And not just in the U.S., but across the globe. You know, we're bombarded with media all day. We're fatigued. We don't always have that critical eye on what we're seeing you know we're prime candidates for absorbing unverified information and retelling it as truth offering it as what's called social proof to our our family and friends like kurt i i don't know you well but you seem like a a stand-up guy trustworthy and if you say the sky is falling and today i looked up and, and the clouds are lower than they were yesterday you know you saw a video it seemed good to you yeah, you wouldn't lie to me. That that's social proof. I mean, it's an absurd example, but if somebody who that who you trust is saying, "Hey, I saw this. It seems real. Take a look at it." I may take your word for it. So, deep fakes, if they can get to the point where they're swaying public opinion, where they're offering that layer of social proof, that that's very powerful, and, and it can unfortunately move mountains in the wrong way and maybe some in the right way i may have to work with you on a deep fake to help me on my next employment contract (laughs) maybe we can add another zero to the end of it there well we talked keely a lot about you know how some of these things can be detected right so in the code then there's going to be special algorithms being written to find those what we called inconsistencies in that contrived media that might indicate a malicious manipulation what tools or techniques can be used to combat these deep fakes? Sure. There's, um, there are a number of tools, and there are AI ethics committees. Uh, there's large organizations like Facebook even hosted like a deep fake detection challenge to encourage the creation of new tech to detect deep fakes. Uh, Adobe uh, launched the Content Authenticity Initiative with the intent of creating a provenance or credibility audit trail for media content. And what that may look like is watermarking original content and before it's published. So, and then putting, you know, using blockchain to authenticate and and secure it. So there's programmatic ways that are being developed to ensure the, the authenticity of what we're looking at. And I think Facebook, what I've read is if the video is for entertainment or parody purposes, it's okay. But if it's anything deceptive or, you know, harmful, then they won't publish it. And, and that com- gets into a whole other conversation about whether these media platforms are publishers or are they just social networks? And then if they're publishers versus social networks, there's different laws that come into play and, you know, where does right to privacy vector against freedom of speech? There's a lot to unpack there. So there's some programmatic ways that are being developed. For today, for users who may think they're looking at, at a deep fake, there's a few things that to keep in mind. You know, the first is, you know, situational awareness. So your basic everyday social engineering checklist that you may or may not be cognizant of that you're doing, but 
you know, is your first response to the media one of emotion? You know, is there a sense of urgency that you need to act upon? You know, does the message seem reasonable or sensational? And can you validate the content through other channels like factcheck.org or PolitiFact or Snopes? Yeah, and then real-time situations like the job interview. Now, we talked about some of the, the things to look out for, but don't take the humanity of the subject for granted, which sounds absurd, but don't assume that who you're talking to is a human. We talked about the whole 90-degree uh, head turn. There's unnatural blinking. There's problems with hair, skin, replication, faces blurrier than the background, audio out of sync from a uh, cybersecurity perspective making sure that your your security stack includes anti-phishing capabilities for all platforms mobile endpoint and the like and this is important because there was a study done by VMware which polled um, 125 security and incident response professionals email was the top delivery method for last year's deep fake attacks accounting for 78% of them Oh, a great segue. I was about to ask about, you know, checkpoint solutions that, uh, you know, we're certainly big fans of here at GDT. How could we look at checkpoint to solve some of these problems around deep fakes? Sure. Uh, social engineering is always key. Uh, spear phishing. So specific uh, spear phishing is phishing created for a specific individual group of individuals. So you want anti-phishing tools, which are available in all of our products, but in particular for email, look at Harmony Email and Collaboration, which has an, uh, we part, we recently acquired Avanon, which was, Avanon was always our back end for our email solution. That does a fantastic job of spotting phishing attacks. If you do receive a phishing attack outside of that realm, personal email or what have you, Situational awareness goes a long way. Uh, utilize MFA or multi-factor authentication whenever possible. Establish a, a communications continuity plan like we mentioned earlier with that CEO. I mean, should the CEO be calling me directly for a couple of million dollars? Probably not. But if that phone call happens, what, what's my recourse? How do I validate? Trust but verify. Absolutely. Keely, where can our listeners go to get more information on Checkpoint's great solutions. Checkpoint.com. Easy answer, wasn't it? it? Absolutely was. Do you have engineers who have maybe have blogs on the subject? Um, not that I, not specific to deepfakes. Uh, we do have a blog called cybertalk.com that any of our engineers, evangelists, or third parties can actually contribute to. Outstanding. Thank you, Kaylee. Great having you on the show with us today. I really appreciate it. That was a fun one. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Protect your enterprise network from the most sophisticated cyber attacks with the highest caliber of security. Real-time prevention in the world's highest performing security gateways. For more information on Checkpoint Security Solutions, visit their website at Checkpoint.com. If you'd like to see a demo or put together a proof of concept, you can visit us at GDT.com and we'll bring our technical experts to the table to walk you through it. You can even reach me at the show by email at podcast at GDT.com. For Keely Wilkins, I'm Kirk Nordquist, and this 
is the Digital Matrix. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Digital Matrix with Kurt Nordquist. For more information on the technologies discussed on today's show, you can email Kurt at podcast at gdt.com. Please be sure to follow us at the Digital Matrix for more cool tech content on future podcasts.